So every quarter or so, I like to uh, get away for a couple days in solitude and just pray and read my Bible and uh, ask God for direction and clarity for uh, this church to make sure my heart is submitted to Christ because I'm prone to wander. And um, one of the, these retreats that I took in November, I went into that time and I just felt completely inadequate to be a Christian. I felt like uh, I didn't understand God. I felt like I should be so much further along than I really am. I felt like I was blowing it. I felt like I was letting God down. And I went into this place just kind of in this funk of I should be so much further than I am and will I ever get there? I kind of felt a little bit like this, like there was this canyon of where I should be as a Christian and I was like on the other side of this canyon thinking how will I ever get over there? Will I ever get over there? And thankfully, I didn't stay in that place after I met with God. He shared a verse with me uh, and spoke to me through his word in such a powerful way. And that's what I want to share with you this morning as we begin 2020. But I want to look at this question and answer the question, have you ever felt like you were never the Christian God wants you to be? Have you ever felt like you were never the Christian God wants you to be? Have you ever felt like I I just always fall short or I'm just never going to make it or I wonder if I'll ever be where I'm supposed to be? Have you ever felt and identified with that? I know I have and God met me in one of those places and I think he wants to bring us truth in that spot. We do put so much effort in trying to convince God and others and ourselves that yes, we're going to make it, but do we really believe that? And that's what I want to look at today. God knew we would feel that way. God knew that in this journey of becoming a disciple, that we'd have those moments. And I think that's one of the reasons he gave us this amazing guy in the scriptures named Peter. I don't know about you, but I love Peter because Peter is a guy in the scripture we see who had unbelievable failure and unbelievable high moments. He had pinnacles of faith and he had pitfalls of faith. He had his failure, he's a spiritual failure in one sense and a spiritual giant in the other. And his stumblings speak to all of us because when we look at the life of Peter, I think we see ourselves and we say, that's like me. For an example, uh, Peter was in a conversation with Jesus and Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And people were saying, well, some say this and some say that. And Peter was the one that said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus started talking about what's going to happen to him, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be put on a cross. And and Peter said, I will never let that happen. And then Jesus, the one he admired, the one he looked to, the one he worshipped, looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns but humans' concerns. Failure. And then when Jesus was in one of the darkest moments of his life before he went to the cross where he needed faithful friends and he said, all of you are going to scatter from me and Peter made this declaration, if everyone falls away, I will not. And you know, I really think Peter meant that. I don't think he just was saying it. I think it was really in his heart. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he wanted to be. And then Jesus says, before the night is out, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And then that's what happened. And So Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And it says he went outside 
And I love what it says there. It says he wept bitterly. That isn't just crying. That's not just shedding a tear. Wept bitterly. He so desperately wanted to be the Christian that he knew God wanted him to be. He so desperately wanted to be there. And when we look at Peter's life, we see saint and sinner. We see spiritual greatness and spiritual rebellion. And after looking at his life, we say he's so much like us. He's all of us wrapped up into one person. Godly ambitions fulfilled, outward embarrassments revisited. But here's the thing. Wherever you see Peter, whether it's in a pinnacle or a pitfall, he presses on and God meets him in those places and he becomes spiritually mature and he becomes one of the greatest apostles we have ever had. Partly the reason we are gathered here in 2020 is because of the faithful ministry of Peter the apostle in those early days. Peter continued to grow, and God made him a pillar of strength for the faith. So how do we do that? How do we become pillars of strength? That's what I was looking at when I went into that retreat, and Jesus tells us how to do that. I want to spend the rest of this morning unpacking how we do that. There's a verse that stood out to me as we begin a new series here called The True Disciple. We're going to be looking at what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus. We want to start our year off by these next uh, several weeks looking at this. And so I'm going to invite you now to uh, turn to pay, or open your Bibles, if you haven't, to Revelation chapter 3, where we look at this topic. This is the verse that God gave me in that moment. Revelation 3, I'm going to be focused on verse 12, but I want to look at 11 and 12. If you're using the Bible we have for you here in the worship center, I'll be on page 1091, 1091. And if you're kind of new to the Bible, we're glad you're checking it out. Revelation is the very last book. So if you open towards the back and then go to the big number 3, I'll be focusing on little numbers 11 and 12 today. Just to give you a little context of what's happening here, Jesus is speaking to some churches, and the one church he's talking about in this text is the church of Philadelphia. It was a first century church in the Roman Empire, and it was a church that had a lot of Roman Empire influence. In fact, the the name uh, at one time was Caesar's New City. That's what they called this church. And so there's a lot of opposition to Christianity, a lot of uh, persecution to people who are following Jesus. In fact, there was many people who were killed in this city for their faith. And there's, because of that, there's many people who are turning away, many people saying, maybe this isn't the real deal, and they're trying to uh, get the pressure of being a Christian off of them by leaving the faith. But there were some faithful few that Jesus began to address. And he says, you loved me because you obeyed my commands in some of the worst circumstances I could ever imagine on earth, and I noticed it, is what Jesus says to them. You've been faithful. And then he gives them this verse in verses 11 and 12. Let's take a look of Revelation 3, verses 11 and 12. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. I want to stop right there. To the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And in this verse, we see something that Jesus does and something that Jesus promises when it comes to our spiritual growth as disciples. 
And so I want to spend the rest of our time looking at three key things that make a disciple of Jesus. Three key things that we see from this verse that make a disciple of Jesus. And the first one is faith. Faith. He says, to the one who overcomes. In the New Testament, that phrase, to the one that overcomes, always points back to the original faith a person has in Jesus Christ. A trust that he is who he said he is. A trust that says you believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for humanity by dying on the cross. You will never overcome anything in this life fully unless your faith, your trust, fully rests in Jesus Christ. In the context of this letter, this faith, this one who overcomes, it says, means basic trust. It's not requiring this huge amount of faith. It's this basic foundational faith where you've invited Jesus into your life, where you believe in your heart who he is and what he's done. It's not just an intellectual thing you believe, but it's something that you believe with all your guts. It's kind of like this. Ryan's going to help me out here. I asked him to do this before, and he said, I'm probably going to forget, so if I forget, I'll just come up in the middle of the sermon and do it. So thanks for remembering, buddy. With this chair, I could believe that this chair will hold me when I sit in it. I could say, yeah, if I sit in that chair, it'll hold me. But if I don't ever sit in it, I'm not really living in the profession of that faith. I'm never really saying, yes, I believe that. And some people approach life with Jesus like that. They look and say, you know, yeah, Jesus is Lord. He's God. I believe that. I believe who he said he is. But I'm going to run my life. I'm not going to put my faith in him. I'm not going to surrender my life to him. I'll go to church. I'll acknowledge everything that's said. I'll sing the songs. I'll listen to the sermons. But I don't know if it's for me. Or we may not even say that. We may just be playing a game thinking we believe, but we really don't. But see, faith isn't faith until you say, yeah, I'm going to put all that I got into this. I'm going to trust Jesus with my whole life. I'm going to worship him fully. He is now the one who sits on the throne of my life, not me. He's the one who calls the decisions, not me. It really doesn't matter what I think or my opinions or what I desire because I'm submitting that all to the lordship of Jesus Christ and he's going to guide and lead me. So that's a totally different thing than to just acknowledge him as Lord or acknowledge him as God. But what are you doing personally? See, you will never overcome in this life until you sit your faith in Jesus Christ fully with all that you have. If it's just a cursory look or a glance or a statement, but it doesn't really mean anything, that's not overcoming according to what the Bible says. The overcoming comes when we totally know and understand who Jesus is. Faith in Jesus is how the Bible defines conquering the world. It's how the Bible defines overcoming. And if all Jesus is is just something that we admire, something we give intellectual assent to and say yes, but we never put our full trust in him, we never invite him into our life to change us, and we never follow him fully, we'll never be the people he's called us to be. Faith in Jesus is how the Bible defines conquering and overcoming and You can see that right here in 1 John 5, 4. It says, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. What is it? Our faith. 
See, our faith in who he is and what he's done, that's what conquers the world. And when you think about conquering the world, don't think geopolitical. Think right in front of you. Think about hopelessness. Think about depression. Think about living a life without hope. You know, shortly after um, I heard the news of what happened to Michaela Schneider, and I kept thinking about the pain that my friends Doug and Jen were going through, and and I just got into this depressive funk. I, for like two or three days, it was like if I had fun with my family, I felt guilty about it. If there was, if I laughed, I felt, I just, they were so on my heart, and it just so weighed me down. And I was, at night, I took my dog out, and it was about 10.30 at night, and I was just feeling this depressiveness, this hopelessness, and there's a lot of tough situations going on in our church right now in people's lives that break my heart. And I was in the middle of the night in my driveway, and I thought, I looked over, and my neighbor had his Christmas lights on. He had this big sign on his house that's all lit up, says, Joy. And I thought, is there really joy? Is there really? I mean, look at all the pain that's going on. Look at what's happening. And it was almost like I was being enveloped by this hopelessness of our world. I was almost being enveloped and overcome by this depressive spirit of the state of things in life. And in that moment, it was like God broke through. And he spoke to my heart and he said, Michaela Schneider is never more alive than she has ever been than right now. And he said to me, you know, as much as Michaela loved her family, and boy did she love her family, if she had the option, she would not come back because of how amazing it is right now here. And one day, the whole Schneider family is going to be all united with me, worshiping me, fully alive, fully in love, together forever, and there will be no end. Yes, death and depression is not the final say. Joy in God is because of what Jesus Christ did. Now, are you going to have faith in that? Are you going to really, really trust that? Or are you just going to, like, do you really believe this whole thing called Jesus Christ and faith in Christianity? Or do you do it because you feel like you have to? Or do you just play this Christian culture? See, it's in these moments where our faith comes alive and gets really, really real. And I just had that moment with God, and I think that's the overcoming that takes place. And the source of that overcoming comes when we bathe ourselves in the presence and the power of who Jesus Christ is, and we sit in the chair, and we put all in to who God is and what he's done. To cross the canyon, the first thing you need is faith in Jesus, this personal relationship where you've invited him into your life. A lot of times when we uh, have membership here, we talk to people and ask us, tell us your story of how you became a Christian. How did you become a Christian? And sometimes people will say, well, I was raised in a Christian home and I've always been a Christian. Here's the newsflash. You're never, ever born a Christian. No one is born a Christian. In fact, uh, the Bible says we're born far from God. You make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. You make a decision to go all in and sit and put in f- your faith and trust in him. It's a decision you make. You become that. And it requires two things, the Bible says. It requires faith, a belief in who he says he is, and repentance, a turning from your sin and a turning to God. When you do that, when you say, Jesus, I believe in who you are, I ask forgiveness for my sins, will you come into my life? That's the moment of truth. That's where it happens. And Pastor Brian Berg in the funeral Friday, Friday said it best. He said there's only two ways to live in this world. There's only two ways to live in this world. All of us are born rebellious sinners. 
The Bible says that. We are born rebellious sinners. We're sinners by choice and by origin. We will, all of us have fallen short. And so one choice is to live as a rebellious sinner your whole life and just forget Jesus and what he's doing on the cross and say, I don't need it. I'm just going to live my own way. You can totally live that way. Or you can live the life of a forgiven sinner where you let Jesus into your life and you trust him with all you have and you make that commitment to follow him. You can only live as a rebellious sinner or a forgiven sinner. Those are only the two choices we have to live in this world. It's very, very simple, but not always easy. But when we put our faith in him, we begin this road of discipleship as a forgiven, redeemed sinner that he calls to walk with him. So the first thing we need is faith. The second thing we need is transforming power. Look at that verse in verse 12. It says, to the one who conquers, I will make... Those three words, when I read that, that cabin in November leaped off the page, grabbed me by the throat, woke me up. I will make. This is one of the greatest promises ever that God can make to us. It says that he will make the person a pillar in the temple of God. This verse counters all human thought, philosophy, and um, will of what it takes to live spiritually. See, we think we have to make it on our own. We think we make it. We think we're the ones that do it. We have to have enough of uh, the time and the effort that we grow ourselves spiritually. And there is a part of effort that we're going to get to and talk about. But ultimately, God does not say to us when it comes to spiritual growth, you got this. You can make this happen. He says, you can't do this without me. I will be the one that makes this happen. You see, Jesus is the one who really makes disciples. God is the one who really makes the disciples. Ultimately, it's him. It's a work of him. And when you understand that word make, especially in the original language and what it means and what it's about, it's absolutely phenomenal because that word make has three aspects to it in the original Greek. The first one, the first idea is that God's going to shape what's already present. In terms of transforming power, he's going to take what's in you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, he's placed within you already talents and traits and things that he placed according to his image, to his glory. And he's going to take those things, and it says, when I make you a pillar, he says, he's going to shape the things that are already there that he's deposited in you. Before the foundation of the world, before you were even here, God knew what you were going to be like. And so... Being born was just a result of what God decided before the foundation of the world of what you were going to be like. And he says, I'm going to take that stuff and shape what's already there. But then the second part of that word is amazing because he says, then I'm going to bring what's lacking. What is lacking and what is not complete, what isn't totally what I want as a disciple, I'm going to make because I'm going to bring with my creative God creation power what is lacking. Jesus says, I'm going to take the things I created in you, but if you are worried you don't have what it takes, don't be afraid because I'm going to bring what's lacking. I'm going to bring what's needed to transform And then the third aspect of that Greek word is not only am I going to shape what's existing, not only am I going to bring what's lacking, it says I am actually, it says I'm making you into this. It's a present tense that keeps going. It's continuous. So God is saying it's not a one-time thing. It's a process I'm bringing you through, a process of where me, the master creator, is continually making you into this image, and then when I return or when you die, it's going to be perfection. 
It's going to be completed. It's going to be exactly how I want it. If you're faithful, if you're living out this profession, Jesus says, I'm going to keep making and creating and shaping you until you are made in my image. If you yield yourself to me, if you trust me, I will do that. Significant human transformation always involves training, not just trying. Here's a picture. Spiritual transformation is a long-term endeavor that involves God and us. We are in partnership to grow like Jesus, but God does the bulk of the work. It's kind of like crossing an ocean. Some people would say, I'm going to cross this ocean. They're going to grab a rowboat. They're going to try to row across the ocean, and they work, and they work, and they work, and they work, and it feels like they don't get anywhere. Some of you approach getting to know God that way. You hop in this spiritual rowboat and you're going and you're going and you're going and you're never going to get anywhere because it's too big of a journey. It's too hard. It's exhausting and unsuccessful. So then what people usually do is after they figured that out and they said this is exhausting and unsuccessful, they said, well, forget it. I'm just going to be who I am and God's going to have to change me and just make it happen. Presto changeo. This is kind of like being in the ocean and saying I'm just going to sit in a raft and go wherever and God's just going to have to do it. I'm going to live my life however I want because doing it my strength alone is just way too hard. Neither trying nor drifting are effective in bringing about spiritual transformation. A better analogy is like this. It's kind of like a sailboat. We can't control the wind. The wind is a gift, but a good sailor discerns where the wind is and puts up the sails at the right time in the right place to take the boat across. That's what spiritual living is like. God in John chapter 3 talked about the Holy Spirit like a wind. And when we grow in Christ, what we do is we put the sail up to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit. It's our effort to put the sail up, then he takes that wind and he changes us and transforms us with his power. So how do we put that wind up? We put it up through prayer. We put it up through spending time reading this book. We put it up through being with other Christians and letting them speak into our lives and trusting them enough to be with them. And we put up the sail by giving time to think. In this crazy age, we don't sit very long without something to do. We don't like not having anything to do. We're constantly on a phone or this or that or that. There was an amazing man named Dallas Willard, and they said, what's the number one thing a person has to do to grow in Jesus Christ in this day and age? And he said, have times in your life where you have nothing to do. Because in those times, instead of picking up that phone, instead of, you just start thinking about what God is doing and who he is. And that's putting the sail up and letting the wave of the wind of the Spirit, God, catch it and take it across. And then what's the result of faith? And transforming power, stability. Stability. That's the third thing. Jesus says you will be a pillar, a pillar in the temple of God, a pillar of the kingdom of God on earth. A pillar is a strong, weight-bearing thing. It speaks of security. It speaks of power. It speaks of strength for difficult times. He's talking about making us guys who are fathers, fathers our kids can lean on. He's talking about making you ladies who are mothers, mothers that your kids can anchor in. He's talking about making us guys who are husbands, husbands that our wives can trust and know that we're going to have our hearts turned towards God. He's talking about wives that 
are wives that, got, that guys can anchor their uh, soul in in a difficult world. He's talking about making us friends that can be trusted, friends that will be taking relationships not just with love but also with truth and guidance. He's talking about workers making us employees that are faithful, that work like God is watching over us, not just our boss. He's in the business of taking us wherever our sphere of influence, our gender, our age. Jesus is in the process of making pillars of people of God who will stand for his kingdom in the unstable times of our world. See, our world's looking desperately for somebody who is stable, somebody who's anchored in God. And part of this discipleship process is letting God come and create within us pillars that anchor us. So just in summary, a true disciple is made by God, according to this verse. Made by God. And it begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Making that place where you say, yes, I accept you, I invite you into my life, I surrender my life to you and follow you. It's lives that are transformed by God's power. That as we stay connected to God, he comes and transforms us and we become a stable force in this crazy, crazy world. See, in this little tiny verse, if Jesus Christ was here with us in physical body, he's here in spirit, but if he's here in physical body and we asked him, what were you getting at here? This is what he would say. He said, I can and I will take those who put their abiding faith in me and I will make them into dependable disciples, people who will prove to be strategic in my ongoing work of expanding the kingdom of God and building my church. See, that's the promise that Jesus gives us. That's what it is to be a true disciple. And Jesus bridges that canyon of inadequacy. When we say, here I am, I don't know if I'll ever make it there. Jesus says, yeah, you'll never make it there on your own. That's why I'm here. And I will carry you over there. The daily battle will not always be easy, but it'll be so worth it. But we have to stay connected. So how do we stay connected? Four key things. Prayer times where we're discussing, and, and not just talking to God, but being with God, the creator being with creation, Bible, reading what he's spoken and given us, and knowing that this is the truth in a world full of lots of deception. Even our emotions can deceive us. We have to submit our emotions to what this says here. Fellowship, being with other Christians, being with people, sharing our lives with them and letting them get to know us enough where it's a safe place where they can call things out in us in a loving and kind way. And time. Giving God time to think and knowing that this is going to be a process. So in 2020, what are you going to do to hoist the sails on your boat? What is your intentional plan to grow? Notice I said, what are you going to do? So many people say, well, it's the church's job to help me grow spiritually. Well, we come along and help, but it's your responsibility. What are you going to do? What is your plan for 2020? Spiritual growth takes intentionality like any other growth in our life. What is your reading plan going to be this year to go through the Bible and learn this thing? What is, where are you going to put the time in to get to know God in prayer? Are you going to do that morning or evening? Where is it going to happen? What's it going to look like? These are questions you should be thinking is the beginning of this year. It's like a, the new year is a new start to think through these things. And if you go to our resources page on our website, we have all sorts of things that can help you 
get to know God better. And if you need more of a personal coaching, if you call us and say, hey, I'd love to get to know God better. Is there somebody who could talk to me about that? We'd love to do that. But what is your plan to move into true discipleship? C.S. Lewis, who knew the human heart probably better than most in terms of his writing, writes this. The problem of the Christian life comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All of your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists of simply shoving them all back and listening to the other voice, taking the other point of view. He's speaking of God there. Letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on, and so on, all day long. You see, it's not easy to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but it's so incredibly worth it. And God promises to take us there if we yield our lives and our hearts to him. Let's pray we do that in 2020. Father in heaven, we thank you for the promises that are in your word. We thank you for who you are and what you've done to fulfill those promises and remind us that it's so incredibly true. God, I pray for Crossview Church in 2020. I pray that in crazy times of our world, crazy times in our life, that 2020 would be a year of hope not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who you are. Would you allow us to put up the sails on our boat like we've never have before? And we trust you, Holy Spirit, to take that feeble effort and meet us in that place. Will you guide us and lead us? Will you give us that strength necessary? We ask this all in your name and ask that you would be honored and glorified in this place and in our hearts. That's our prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.